and they are powerful states of mind. So they're therefore called uh, immeasurable. And as you know, Brahma Viharas in uh, Pali means um, divine abodes, heavenly homes that we can establish in cultivating the good. So this morning um, on the heels of uh, Martine's beautiful um, exposition of equanimity, I'm going to talk about metta, loving kindness. So this practice of metta um, is, as, is equal to, as important as, uh, our practice of mindfulness, our practice of um, stilling the mind in, in order to see more deeply, to understand more deeply who we are and how we are as human beings in this life. So metta is a, is a natural emergence from the meditation practice. And from and in this meditation practice, hopefully, as we uh, become deeper and deeper and more still, as Martine was describing uh, this morning, we see the interrelatedness of all things. If we add up all the interchanges that we have with each other every single day, we begin to see life as uh, sustained by a flow of interconnection. And that interconnection is the play of love at work. And I, you'll notice that I use the words love and loving kindness kind of interchangeably. You begin to understand egolessness and non-separation as we begin to open up to this understanding of metta. We become in a way uh, one with all things, not in this, not, not in a kind of new age or mushy egolessness and uh, or, or mushy or sloppy way, but in a genuinely profound understanding, genuinely profound understanding that no thing, including we ourselves, no thing arises by itself or exists by itself, that everything comes from causes and conditions, everything. And all phenomena are irretrievably tied together. And in the, in the recognition of this interconnection and unity, we understand uh, that the need for love the need for loving kindness and for love is not simply on an emotional level, but that it is at the core of our very being. So although we can use the metta practice as a way also of uh, concentration, if, you, if you've done metta, you know that, but if you, if you do it regularly enough and, and with a with a with a beautiful rhythm that it does become a concentration practice but the need for love 
is not simply on an emotional level, but at the core of our very, very, our, our, our very innermost being. So His Holiness the Dalai Lama said, it is because our own human existence is so dependent on the help of others that our need for love lies at the very foundation of our existence. Therefore, we need a genuine sense of responsibility and sincere concern for the welfare of others. So this concern for the welfare of others is what I take to be the meaning of metta, which is, of course, as you know, Pali for loving kindness. And it's distinguished from love as we usually conceive of it. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., one of our American heroes, said that it is, it is making our ultimate end the creation of the beloved community. So if, we're, if we look around us, it's not hard to see the abject absences in life. And in, in the presence of love, we see ecological degra degradation, inhumane solutions to human problems and human suffering. And we in the United States are, as you probably all already know, subject to different um, um, influences and different political ways of being that are quite unusual in our system, but has certainly um, become one of our vicissitudes, one of our ways of being in the world with each other in which we are in conflict with no, with, with very, with a very narrow path to, um, to solution. In a way, not just in the United States, but in the West, we've overdeveloped our critical faculties. We constantly analyze and we criticize ourselves and each other. And if we take an honest look within, we may see a certain guardedness around our hearts. And that guardedness around our heart may, we, may become a thick and impenetrable barricade for others. And it may be a protective shield or a contraction that only emerges under threatening conditions. And what triggers a sense of threat? It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a suspicion that perhaps we're not truly loved or we're not truly lovable or acceptable as we are. This is part of the human condition. And what happens then is this numbing down or the shutting down of the heart in an attempt to deflect the pain of feeling unloved or unlovable. And this numbing down disconnects us from 
our own heart. And inevitably, inevitably, it will exacerbate this feeling of the scarcity of love. And so because of the confusion and the pain and the suffering that we carry around, our love gets buried and becomes a pattern. But that pattern is not irretrievable. This is from uh, Galway Canal. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower, for even for those things that don't flower, for everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of a flower and retell it in words and in touch. It is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. So not knowing that we're loved as we are, we engage unhelpful ways to ward off the pain. And, and by that, we can wound our hearts by shutting down the pathways through which love can flow in and through us. And it's not surprising then that as we do that as individuals, that on a collective level, this uh, deep wound in the human psyche leads to a world that feels and seems racked by struggle. And all, all beauty and honor of the world and struggle arise from the same root, from the presence or the absence of love. So this quality of metta, this quality of um, loving kindness, because it's not sentimental love, it's not, um, it's not uh, romantic love as we usually um, think of love, but actually a quality of mind and heart. As Martine was saying this morning in her, um, in her talk, she was not that, we're, that these qualities of mind and heart are not states because states feel permanent, they feel ingrown, they feel as if they don't move and shift and change. But these qualities of metta and, and um, compassion and sympathetic joy and equanimity are, are qualities of mind and heart that come and go and may be brighter in some times and, and not quite so accessible in other times. So sooner or later, this quality of love, of, of loving kindness becomes really important in our practice of, um, of meditation. And it becomes really important, not because of our necessarily, not at root, not necessarily because of our relationships with others, but actually because of our relationship with ourselves. When we become used to 
um, a way of criticizing and denigrating and um, uh, underestimating ourselves that then manifests in the world as we all as we all know even if we know a little bit about psychology about human psychology so that our our uh, our innermost feelings our innermost way of looking at ourselves becomes the way that we manifest in the world so we know that when the presence of love and kindness are moving and alive in us life feels on target and it feels meaningful regardless of our circumstances we feel in touch we feel connected to something larger than our small self and this lifts the burden of alienation and isolation from our shoulders. So this quality of loving kindness, this, this, in a way, a resolution or a determination that we can have to, uh, to meet the world with an open heart rather than a protective, uh, a heart that is um, uh, you know, shielded and uh, is worried about being hurt, we find that when we develop this quality of loving kindness, that as we bring that out into the world, that then the world, the, our view of the world shifts, it becomes a whole other kind of relationship that manages to shift not only our relationship to ourselves, but our relationship to what we think of as the external world and this quality of interconnectedness becomes um, uh, our ground, our way of responding, eliminating um, uh, uh, the shielding of the heart that doesn't allow it to shine. In, in the Bible in Corinthians, it said, if I speak with the tongues of men, and of angels but have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a clinging gong. And if I have the gift of prophecy and all knowledge, and if I have all faith that can move mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And even the new exper experiments that we hear about in neuroscience have confirmed that our connections with others affect our healthy development and functioning uh, in the brain or uh, and the endocrine, the endocrine system and the immune system and our emotional balance. So love or kindness, this, this quality of loving kindness is the force that holds life together and allows it to function well, not only on an individual scale, but also on a world scale. And we have certainly, as you've probably been reading in your own newspapers, certainly in America, we have had a front row seat to the degradations that come with hatred and division. So this practice of, uh, of um, metta, it's very simple and very elegant. We practice 
not for ourselves alone, but in a very, very deep sense, we practice for all beings, for the well-being of the planet and the earth, that we may all realize the love, which is the very fabric of what we are. And uh, metta, uh, in, in engaging in the practice of metta uproots our feeling of isolation and disconnection. But in experience, it also uncovers the radiant, joyful heart that is within each of us. And beneath that wound of and illusion of separation is a deep connection to ourselves and to all beings. And how does that manifest when we, um, when we actually uh, work consciously to develop this quality of mind and heart? How does it, how does it begin to manifest? So what happens is we free ourselves from this illusion of separation. And we know that the work that we do internally, Martine referred to this internal and external practice this morning, when we do the work internally, that that manifests externally, that that manifestation externally then reflects itself back to us and has an effect on us internally. So we become completely connected in all ways, not only to our fellow human beings, but to nature and to all of the beings that uh, are in nature so that nothing, nothing, nothing appears to be outside of this large heart that we are manifesting, that we are approaching the world with and that the world then responds uh, responds to in us. So when we free ourselves from this illusion of separation, we live in natural freedom. And the Buddha described the path as the liberation of the heart that is love. So what we do in, in uh, metta, Meta meditation is to step beyond our small self, to embrace um, the to embrace the other as part of a beloved whole, and to bring forth in a ground of love uh, a cultivation that is found beyond judgment and beyond blame. So, as I said before, you know so much of our Western education is about analytical and critical thinking and faculties and holding the cognitive as um, the highest aim, the, the development of our cognitive being. We spend all of this time criticizing and judging and blaming, as I said. And so we see metta as a kind of extraordinary quality something that is beyond our humanity. So instead, we can use it as the antidote to metta, to, to hatred and fear. Because if we see ourselves as connected, 
to all beings and all things in the universe, then um, hate and fear uh, may arise, but they are they do not become states, as Martine was saying this morning. So how do we how do we practice with metta? How do we um, uh, develop the state of mind that actually approaches life's ups and downs as um, our, our ground, our way of being. So this, this, this friendliness, this kindness, this loving kindness, this uh, way of seeing the world brings us into, into a kind of gentleness that enables us to, um, to meet whatever life offers, whether it's the pleasant, the unpleasant, or the neither pleasant nor unpleasant, the tonality that Martine was talking about. Can we meet it with friendliness? And we know that when we are friends with another human being, our relationship to them is curiosity when they come with a problem or when they come with a state of mind that is um, unhappy making or difficult. As friends, what do we do? We listen. As friends, we, are, we become curious about how the state of mind can be worked with. And we, we become willing to help, uh, to help our friend. So that's uh, loving kindness. That's a kind of friendliness that invites in what we would originally see as a problem. We see it as a way through. We see it as a way to realizing something that we may not have realized before. We want to help our friend solve a problem. So instead of berating them or telling them that they shouldn't have had the problem or it was their fault or whatever else, we become curious, we become interested in what the way through might be. So what would it be like to develop this heart of kindness, this heart of um, loving kindness that actually is a ground from which we can meet life in a way that is um, open to whatever it, whatever it produces, whether it's difficulty, whether it's joy or sorrow. My husband died five years ago. And it's been, it was a really terrible, awful, just grief, uh, grievous, loss for me. And what I noticed is that because I had started a practice of loving kindness, that I could actually use that loving kindness to become um, more interested in this state of grief, not from a cognitive point of view, but actually to be able to let in the difficulty of this um, the difficulty of this grief, to let in with a kind of um, 
gentleness, a kind of tenderness, a way of being with it, that in which I could invite it to teach me something about loss. I could invite it to teach me something about the terrible experience of grief. It, I could invite it to be my, my way through, my way of um, embracing a world that no longer contained my husband, at least his body, his, his alive human body. So that the, um, the wretchedness of grief or the difficulty of grief was not denied, was not set aside, was not tossed away, but actually incorporated in this in, in the practice of, 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 of loving kindness, because I could actually use it as a way, as a way through. So this, this, this invitation that we made to you to come and um, contemplate life's ups and downs and to, um, to, to do that um, through these four qualities of mind and heart are um, uh, seminal. They are, th th these, these four Brahma Viharas, these four divine abodes are not kind of a, a side trip in our, in our in our Dharma practice, they're actually central because in, in, uh, in developing these qualities of mind and heart, we are actually um, deepening the states of mind that Martine was talking about in her talk this morning, about states that, that arise when we actually become very still and, um, and experience that profound stillness that meditation can bring. So these qualities, including uh, equanimity and loving kindness are qualities that are very useful, very useful in not only in our meditation practice, but in the way that we, um, that we greet life, in the way that we um, uh, cope with the difficulties of life and in the way that we embrace all of the fellow beings with whom uh, we share this planet. So I'm going to um, I'm going to stop there. Although there's a lot that we could um, we could talk about with this quality of of um, of meta, and um, hopefully do some um, do some some practice with metta in our, in our meditation. So I invite you and thank you. Thank you so much for your list for listening. And it's lovely to see your faces on, on the screen and your, the attention that you, that you pay. I really appreciate it deeply. So if you'd like to just stand up for a minute um, or, you know, a half a minute before we, we meditate so that we don't feel so, um, so we don't feel so uh, stiff in our.
So to encourage you to be open and um, receptive in, in, in your meditation this morning, I offer you these few lines from Hafiz. You said, even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look how a love like that lights up the sky. So, we can shine like the sun, bringing warmth and light to all with whom we come into contact. So allow yourself a, a deep breath. or two or three, whatever feels appropriate. And allow your body to really settle into the seat so that it is held perfectly securely by the seat. allowing the attention to rest in the heart, the heart center, around which the breath is breathing and allowing the breath to come down into the belly, to actually be full. And see if you can pay attention to actually being embodied. A quick scan of the body, perhaps from the head to the toes or from the toes to the head, whatever feels right for you. Just to feel completely embodied and to surround that body with love, with kindness. However it is, it's aches, it's pains, it's difficulties, it's joys and it's sorrows. This physicality can be felt with kindness, however it is.
Perhaps you feel tingling, perhaps not, but there are certainly sensations in the body. See if you can greet them and meet them with kindness. Whether they're pleasant or unpleasant or neither. What do you notice in the body? Vibration, stillness, sensation. Whatever is met, can it be met with friendliness, with kindness? Yes, with love. And if you can surround your body, mind, and heart with kindness, with friendliness, however it is right now for you. And then let your friendliness to your own body, mind, and heart expand and extend to all of the beings. There are 121 of us, probably more because it doesn't count people who are together on the screen. So let's say 125 people are on this call together Is it possible to extend this friendliness, this kindness to all of the beings, seen and unseen, 
who are on this call with us right now. Kind of well-wishing. And imagine this well-wishing going out beyond the screen into the actual physical world, across oceans and across gulfs of uh, dissonance and difficulties. kind of well-wishing to soothe the stormy seas. can you make your well-wishing and your wishes for the well-being of all to embrace the entire globe, this beautiful planet we call Earth, and in this pandemic time, to send wishes for health and well-being to every single human being on this planet, as well as all of the other beings that are in different forms, not just human. Feeling as if your heart is a large, expandable auditorium that can take in and include every single one of these beings whom you encounter as you contemplate this tiny spinning globe 
in space. All the beings on it. Sending wishes for happiness and peace and health, tranquility. Peace, peace, peace. I'll be quiet now so that you can continue your practice as you see fit.
these are the Buddha's words on loving kindness. <clears throat> this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, contented and easily satisfied. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in goodness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, those seen and unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another, nor despise any being in any state. Let none, by anger or ill will, wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child. Even so, with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings. Thinking upwards to the skies and downward to the earth, living, loving, above, below, and everywhere. Whether standing or walking, sitting or lying down, one should develop this mindfulness. This, they say, is the highest conduct. Not falling into wrong views, virtuous and endowed with insight, he discards attachment to sensuous desires, truly does not, is not born again. is not born again into this world.
So we have time for questions, comments. And I, um, could you remind me of, I think the way we do it, Matt, is um, either through raising a hand or, um, so before we start, I'd just like to again say what a delight it is to be with Martine and uh, the, the um, Matt and Anne at, uh, at Gaia House and how uh, grateful I am for your, your support and your help. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, I think it's wonderful that you're mindful of the resistance, first of all. So congratulations on that. Um, uh, of course, I don't know the degree of the resistance. So, <laughs> right. um, yeah, well, it's quite natural, isn't it, that we're unhappy with people who do harm. And, um, and yet there is also, so there is that human response and reaction and, and um, you know, that part of our, our hearts that say no, that resist and say, no, that's not, it's, it's not good, it's not, it's harmful, it's not helpful, and I, and I can't join with that in a way. But, you know, you're not being really asked to um, endorse bad actions or to endorse uh, terrible things that people do, but actually to acknowledge their humanity. And, and I wonder if, there, if we lived in a world where there was universal love, that none of us, none of us felt anything but love towards each other, whether there would be such a thing as terrorism. So for me, when, I, when, I, when that kind of reaction comes up, I, I kind of speak to myself that way and I recognize that, um, and I think there's a, there's a quote that I'd like to read to you, uh, if I can find it. It's from uh, Solzhenitsyn, and I think I have it somewhere here, where, where he basically says, you know, that there's a line that runs through all human hearts. And, um, you know, the, the violence in, in, is not just uh, a quality of you know, certain people or certain types of people, but actually I, I see it in my own heart that you know, there, is, there is a beautiful stream of love and there's also a stream of hatred. And I, and I mean hatred because I, I, I don't like to pretty it up as dislike or you know, kind of mild, but it's hatred, right? So if I can recognize that in myself and still wish for others to, to see me with kindly and loving eyes and to wish me well, then I can certainly return that favor. So uh, I remember Ram Das telling the story about his, his altar that he had on his altar, a picture of Jesus, a picture of Buddha, a picture of his teacher and um, a picture of Caspar Weinberger, 
who was the Secretary of Defense in America, who was not well loved by us liberals. <laughs> and he said he would come to, and, and Mother Mary, and he would come down to his altar to, to meditate every day. And he would say, good morning, Jesus, good morning, Buddha, good morning, teacher, good morning. Oh, hello, Casper. <laughs> he mm -hmm. said that every time he said, hello, Casper, he recognized that he had work to do. <laughs> so we can approach our own resistance with that kind of humor and that kind of um, kindness, really, so that we're not doing ourselves violence by saying, oh, I should feel this way or I should do that or I should want it this way, but to actually acknowledge where we are with that the kind of kindness that we would like others to um, extend to us. Mm. So thank you for the tenderness and that you're, you're saying you realize it's possible for, to change rather than kind of approaching it with a kind of violence to yourself that you should change or why don't I change or I must change or, but just that it's possible for it to change. So that this quality of kindness sometimes met for many people we're the hardest people to direct, you know, ourselves is the hardest to direct our, our loving kindness to. And if you can start with just friendliness, if you were a friend of yours, how would you speak to yourself? And how would you, how would you advise yourself as a friend to, um, to work with this, to, to see this and to actually um, not be violent in terms of, I must change it, it must be changed. I, you know, it makes me a terrible person, but I'm not. But a kind of friendly curiosity. I, I find when I see qualities like that in myself, that's what I endeavor to do is to have a kind of friendly, quiet, still curiosity. Hmm, whose voice is this? Where does this come from? How old is this voice? Is it three years old? Is it 15? Is it 20? Is it two? Is it 10? So that instead of a kind of edict for change, there can be an invitation to understand where we are first and how we got here than to kind of rush into it needs to be changed and it must be changed now and if it doesn't change I'm not a good person. So I, I recommend the, the this quality of friendliness be used to approach approach this. Thank you. I'd recommend starting small. So sit for five minutes. You don't have to sit for 45 minutes every time you sit. Or, or resolve to, at the end of every hour when you're working or doing whatever you're doing, you just do nothing. You don't even have to meditate. Just do nothing for five minutes. And, and notice, if you can, where the mind goes and without having to bring it back or restrain it or do just be, just learn to be with yourself in a quiet and friendly way. <laughs> 
right? Rather than cracking the whip, I should meditate and I, why don't I meditate? Start really small. Or, or, or when you're at the bathroom sink, washing your face or your hands or whatever, notice what it feels like to have soap in your hands and what it feels like to actually, you know, have that smooth or rough feeling, etc. So that you begin to um, see meditation as a much broader thing than sitting down and watching your breath or wh how, whatever, um, whatever you do. So that what, what happens is your life becomes a meditation so that when you decide to actually sit down in formal meditation, it feels seamless. It doesn't feel like something special or extra that you're doing, but just a part of what, um, what your life is requiring in a, in a kind of natural and open way. Um, I find that if I try to discipline myself, I become like a wild horse. But if I actually start by saying, well, I'll do something really small and then I'll build on that. So in, in many ways that's practicing metta because that's becoming a really intimate and profound friend to yourself. We're, you know, we're, we're some of our harshest judges for ourselves. And you know, we would never treat other people sometimes the way we treat ourselves. So, so notice that and, and just take time, maybe not to sit in formal meditation in the beginning yet, but just to let your mind roam free and see where it lands. So that, so, that uh, so that a meditative aspect gets introduced into your life rather than um, meditation. So that your life becomes your meditation. And I'm, and I'm not saying that it's not useful and helpful to, to have a regular meditation practice, but that might be the way that you re-enter that sphere. You don't need a, a particular building to come to that place within yourself that sees more deeply. It's, it's the ability and the willingness to stop and know what you know and see what you see and hear what you hear and think what you think while knowing what you're thinking. And then after a while, you'll find that perhaps your body, your mind and your heart actually want to arrive on that scene. So you think, do you think, do you think because you have a broken heart, it means that equanimity has gone out the window or because you weep at that broken heart? Equanimity is not indifference the ability to be, as, as Martine was teaching us today, it's the ability to be even in the, even in the onslaught of all of the difficulties of being human in this life, in this world. So that, so we're not, we're not, uh, we're not thrown completely off 
but we acknowledge when we feel sad. We acknowledge when we're a little bit off or we're even a lot off. We, we acknowledge it and we come back with a kind of friendliness to ourselves rather than a criticism that I shouldn't be this way or I should be, I should be more equanimous. After, and I know you're a longtime practitioner, so you know, we can think, oh, I've been practicing so long. How come I'm still like, you know, upset that the elephants are being killed? Well, it's a very upsetting thing. So can you give yourself a break to that and, and allow yourself the emotion and the, the compassion that you're feeling of the, you know, of the suffering and how we as human beings are, can be so cruel and how, and indifferent and, and, you know, and all of these different strains in the world and all of these different streams of horror and beauty and love and hatred and kindness and so many ways that we can enter different streams and it's so equanimity is not being indifferent it's not being neutral we can be passionate and still be balanced as as martine was saying yesterday so that so not to think you've somehow lost your practice because you are affected or because you actually um, feel, uh, have a depth of feeling about cruelty and suffering. Thank you. You know, so we can get a very kind of idealistic idea about how we should be as practitioners, especially when we talk about metta, we think, oh, we should be kind even to the poachers. Well, we can be kind to them and still be, find the act of poaching reprehensible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Trained as a lawyer, so I always see the, you know, the blind justice kind of um, thing with the scales and you know, so scales don't always stay even. <laughs> when they're weighted down on one side, you know, the, their function is to actually go with the weight. You know, gravity pulls them down with the, with the weight. And like with Wendy, it's, you know, so we can, we can really acknowledge how outraged and how angry and how sad we feel but it doesn't have to become who we are or, and we don't, we don't have to blame ourselves for feeling outrage and anger and sadness at that kind of um, negligence. So, so, and, and the thing about scales, you know, that scale of that scale of justice that I, you know, that, that, thing that you know wait it's always it's always move it's it's very very rarely static because as soon as you put a weight on it it shifts so so equanimity is not having the shift but actually acknowledging the shift and being with the shift and knowing oh this is sadness and actually being as still as you possibly can in the midst of the sadness, first to feel it, but also to understand it. 
So one of the questions I ask myself often is, what, where, is, where, is this, where does this emotion originate? So it can originate um, in your, I can just feel it in the present moment in my heart, or I can feel it in my mother's words, or I can feel it in my father's words, or I can feel it in my teacher's words, or I can feel it there. We have so much complex experience that these emotions arising are arising out of that complex experience. And the last thing we need to do is blame ourselves for having the emotion or thinking we should be a particular way with it rather than feeling it and understanding what we were talking about in the, in the talk about all things coming out of the same causes and conditions. So there are causes and conditions for you know, the people who violate the, the lockdown rules, um, the, 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 the emotions that you feel for uh, the results of that. And, and of course, it's outrageous and horrible that people cause that kind of um, terrible permanent damage to, to someone else because of their ruthlessness or their selfishness or their inability to understand how connected we all are and that everybody's actions um, affect everyone else. So, so there are all of these complex causes and conditions with which we are always coping. And if we're blaming ourselves for feeling the way we feel or feeling overwhelmed sometimes, especially in these days, then it's not easy to see clearly what the root causes are of our reactions. So, so equanimity is a way of standing evenly, not to ignore our feelings or to condemn them or to, or to condemn our not being able to be even, but to actually be still enough to be able to understand ourselves, the people who are condemning or who we think are just horrendous in terms of the way they're acting, so that we're, we're oriented towards understanding even in the midst of our emotion. Mm -hmm. And, we, and, our, and we, are, we are, it's okay to have emotion. It's okay to have strong emotion. That doesn't mean you're not equanimous because there is a, there is a place of equanimity in all of us that we can reach and that we can actually root in so that you know it's like the the, the deep roots of a, of a strong tree when the winds come the roots hold the tree down and so we can be rooted in the same way even though our branches may be may be swaying i hope that's helpful thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.